All right. Hey, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Hey, I am a, uh, well, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem, and, uh, and I'm a people person. So if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, um, I would love the, the chance to do that. And if it's, uh, you want to tell me uh, about something that happened this week, you want to pray together, whatever, if I don't even know your story, I uh, just want to learn about your family, tell me. I, I just want you to know I'm here, and I would love, love the privilege. You're like, he doesn't really mean that. No, I do. I love people. Uh, and so if you uh, want to snag me afterwards, I would love to, uh, to, uh, to get to know uh, you. So I want to add my welcome uh, to uh, Ken's and say welcome to Salem. Salem is a place where we would say, this is our mission statement, uh, where we, we hope or we exist really ultimately to live lives of love with God in community and on mission. You see, Salem, here, here what we believe is that at the center of life, at the center of life is this, is this authentic, real, transformational relationship with a man named Jesus Christ. And it's because of that, that that I can have, I can be in this right relationship or conversation, really, but right relationship with my creator, uh, with other people, and with the world, right? It's because of and only in and through Jesus that he radically transforms me and and the relationships that I am a part of, and I get to engage in in this life and in this world with a new, uh, special intrinsically powerful meaning and purpose. That's really, really, really true. We just started this series called Cave Table Road, which we think um, these images really kind of fit into our mission statement to really kind of shed some light or bring life to this mission statement about who we are uh, and what we're about, right? These were these disciple-making rhythms as we follow Jesus uh, in the example that he has set for us thousands of years ago. And so um, the cave represents really a place of intimacy. It's where I, you know, um, withdraw and get time with my creator. Uh, but ultimately, it represents this, this ability for me to have authentic conversation with God, right? And that's at the center uh, of this person named Jesus, right? Like I, I, the only way I can enter into a relationship with Jesus is if I am totally authentic about the, the totality of the brokenness inside of me, right? And that I'm incapable in any way, shape, or form of, of attaining my way to God. And so there's authentic conversation with God in this right relationship that now can happen as a result of Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and we can engage in that. And that's what we call the cave time as we withdraw and spend time with our creator. Then there's this cable, there's this table, right? Um, and this is where authentic conversation with others. And so really the table, if you think about it, represents the people in our lives that we are inviting into our life to do life with us, right? And so these are the people that we eat actual physical meals with. Uh, We eat spiritual meals together, but ultimately it's a place where I can come uh, and we can share with the struggles uh, and the joys of life together, like the way that we're designed. We bear each other's burdens. And so that's the table, right, around this theology of food. And then we have this, this road, um, which is authentic conversation with the world, right? We don't have to worry about talking about the things that, that are true because we have this authentic relationship with God ourselves. We know who God is uh, and the way that he engages with the world, and we know the difference between right and wrong. And so we get to have this purposeful relationship with the world where we can engage in this authentic conversation. And ultimately, it really is 
anybody that I come across in any given day. And so when we look at this, though, there's these two words, right, that are repeated throughout that, and that's authentic conversation. And so I want this, this, this morning, I think when we think about Cave Table Road, let's, we, we started last week, we were going to do another week of cave, we're going to push that to next week, because this morning we're, we're basically just simply pushing pause, pushing pause on the cave time, um, because um, because I think we have the opportunity this morning to practice our cave time um, together, okay? So that's kind of the, the idea for this morning is to practice this cave time together. But let's have this authentic conversation um, really together as we, as we talk to God, okay? We're going to have an authentic conversation with God really together. And if I were to be... Um, if I were to be really honest, if I were to be authentic with you this morning, I guess what I would say is that the events of this past week were troubling for me. They were hard and disturbing and difficult to watch, uh, to understand, um, and maybe you are troubled too. And maybe you're troubled for the same reasons that I am, and maybe you're troubled for different reasons. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. I don't care what side of the issue you're on. What I know is that for the past year, there's been this bucket of things that we've just been kind of throwing things into. And without removing anything, because nothing has really changed in this last year. Like we've added junk and junk and junk and, and to this bucket, and, and nothing's really coming out. And so it just kind of continues to grow, this mess and this, this almost this aroma that's building up. And we go, gosh, like this has been just a... a terribly difficult year. And when this whole thing started with COVID, there were people on this side and this side, and then something else happened, and then they sw switched sides. And, and there's all this moving and, and, and shifting places. And I go, I don't know where everybody stands, and I don't care really which side you stand on. What I care about is what Scripture calls us to do in order to bring unity, and that starts with prayer. And that's why I think that this morning, what we need to do is that we need to opt in as a community of believers, as a body of Salem, and to pray uh, together. Over this past month, in my own cave time, as I've been engaging in those rhythms with, with, with the Lord, with Yahweh, I've been sitting in the pastoral epistles and reading through and praying through them. And that's um, basically Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. Um, and, uh, and one passage within, within those books, those letters, really kind of just like the Spirit just flooded my mind with this week, just over and over and over. It's like, hey, like, just remember, here you go, here's a passage, and it's the passage, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take about 15 minutes or so and unpack just a few verses here, and then we're going to take about 15 minutes and just pray together. So I invite you this morning, uh, if you've got a Bible, um, you can open up to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. We'll be in verses 1 through 6. We will have them up on the screen. Um, and so if you don't have that or if you'd like to follow along there. But while you're turning, two things I'd like to share about uh, the letter, the epistle um, from Paul to Timothy. And the first thing is this, is that this is an incredibly pastoral letter, which basically means uh, that, that um, Paul uh, is demonstrating um, a great deal of love and shepherding to this individual named Timothy. And, and Timothy, actually, he, um, actually, he calls him like his son. 
He's like, this is, this is my, like my son, my spiritual son, so to speak, because he's really raised him and equipped him and developed him as a disciple maker. And so there's a ton of love in this relationship and in this letter. And so what I would say to you is that I know that I haven't been here for very long, but what I can tell you is that this and what Paul writes to Timothy, whom he loves, transfer, is transferable from me to you because I love Salem and I love its people. I don't know you as well as I would like to yet, but, I, but it is there. And so it's very transferable. And so that's why I love this passage to start. But the second thing I love about this is that Timothy in general, in its content, is really designed to help us see how the gospel, that is the, pers- the good news of the person and the works of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us, how that has this transformative effect in our life and can become very, very practical in its living, in its lifestyle, if that makes sense. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So, okay, so um, here's, here's where um, it starts. It says, I urge then first of, of all uh, that prayers, petitions, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. I'm going to stop there for for a moment. The first thing that I want you to see is these words, first of all. Um, if you have your own Bible, um, underline these words or highlight them or do something. Another translation um, of this um, would be uh, above all. So if you were talking with me or if you're talking with anybody and their, their response to you was, hey, above all, here's what I want you to know. All, you're you're going to tune in because when you hear those words, you go, gosh, like what he's about to say is incredibly incredibly, incredibly important. It's like above all, first of all, or above all, and then what does he do? He talks about petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving. And so then what Paul ultimately is saying in this moment is he says, like the greatest impact that the gospel has in moving forward is that it moves us to prayer. And you're like, above all, above all things, that's what you want me to know as a Christian. Here I am. I have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm regenerated. I am new. I am this new person. I'm like a, like a caged animal. I'm ready to go into the world and make an impact. And what you're telling me is that the greatest thing that I can do is pray. He's like, yeah. Prayer is the most fundamental thing because the gospel never started with me. That's the news of the gospel, right? The gospel has nothing to do with what I bring to the table, in fact, it has really everything to do with what God brings to the table. I don't bring anything. And so the gospel says, what you can't do, I will do for you. And so then here, then what we find is this reciprocated action is that for us, the greatest thing that we can actually do is to remember that we are entirely insufficient. It's not about what I bring to the table in the world, even though that's good and that's important, but prayer is the most powerful thing that I can do in these times. Do you get that? So prayer is really, really, really important uh, above all things. But then he says this next about who these prayers or this prayer is to be made for, and it says that these prayers are to be made for all people, for all people. So when we think about this last week, we think about the events uh, of this last week. By the way, the capital hasn't been stormed, I think, since 1812. Right? It's been a long time. We think about those and we go, wow, like that, that rises to the top. And we know that everybody knows it. Everybody's thinking about it. It's, it's on everybody's mind. We can be authentic and talk about it because everybody knows. And we can be authentic about it because we know that we have Jesus and we can talk about it in light of who Jesus is. And so we think about those things. That rises to the top. But we can't disconnect 
the events of this last week from the entire year right? Because, you know, like we have this bucket that everything's been been thrown into. And so we have uh, all of the the racial tension and injustice. All of that stuff is in this bucket. Um, We have all of the COVID stuff. We have all of the hurricane, the droughts, the natural disasters. We have have people who are wrestling um, with um, nursing homes because they can't see or talk to their loved ones, right? Like it's just this massive bucket. But then on top of that, This all people also still includes, nope, go back one, sorry. This all people still includes praying for my neighbors. It still includes praying for my kids, praying for my schools, for my businesses, for my universities, for my professors. How are they impacted by these things? What else is just going on in life that I don't know about that's maybe totally disconnected from all of that? And we go, gosh, like I I should be in prayer for all people. Like, that's what Scripture says. And so then whatever prayer that needs to be, whether it's a specific need or a general need or a God, like, only you can intercede type of need or a Thanksgiving type of need, we go, gosh, whoever it is, whoever it's for, whenever we say it, wherever we say it, whatever platform we say it on, you know, like, we should be praying for people. We should be praying for all people. Now, but then he goes on and he actually... um, it gets really, really specific here for a moment. And he says, by the way, I want you to pray for kings and all those in authority. So, so why is it that, that Paul, in writing this letter, feels the need to specify kings and all those in authority when normally when you say, hey, pray for all people, that would fall under all people, Right? Pray for all people. Great. Well, that includes kings. Great. But he says, no, I want, you to, I want you to be clear. I want you to pray for kings and all those in authority. So why is it that Paul feels the need to do that? Well, in, at the time of this letter, in the time of Timothy, there was this key person who was in, in control of the known world, and his name was Nero. Nero is known uh, by historians um, as really one of the, the, like the worst people basically of all time. He's overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly negative about his character and his reign. In fact, uh, he has been labeled one of, the, one of the history's greatest criminals. And he's the top dog. This is who he is. Like He has all the power and he's like the worst. He's just bad. He's just not a good guy. In fact, um, Nero um, murdered his uh, brother, uh, stepbrother uh, and his own mother out of fear because he was afraid they were going to take the throne, okay? Uh, so, really bad start. And, and then he goes on, and then um, even though we, we don't know for sure, um, we, can't, we don't know all the details around this, but it is said and it is believed that Nero actually started Rome on fire. Like, he literally had it burned so that um, even though it wrecked lives of all of the people whose homes and lives were destroyed by this burning, but he did it so that he could rebuild his palace and make it bigger. And then what he did is he actually blamed the Christians for that fire and had them arrested and killed, which then started a whole string of persecution for Christians. And he actually, they say that it seemed like it was more out of fun than justice, but he would have Christians arrested and burned at the stake. Right? This is, this is, the, this is the, 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 the time of, the, of, of history, right? this point in history where Nero is in control. And, and, and we go, gosh, like, there's a ton there that, that seems so unfair. Now, I want to be really clear. Um, and yet, so Paul says, by the way, like he doesn't say Nero because he's, he's being inclusive here. But he says, by the way, I want you to pray for Nero. I want you to pray for him. 
I, I want you to pray for these people. Now, I want to be really clear. I want to be really, really clear because I'm, what I'm not doing is I'm not associating or connecting Nero to anything that's happening today. Two entirely different stories, two entirely different people that need to be judged separately. But what I am saying is that Scripture teaches is that whoever is in power, whoever has that authority, Scripture says, I should pray for those people. Do you hear that? Like, we should be praying for whoever it is. And it's the gospel that actually motivates us to do that. It's the gospel that's working this, this transformative piece in me that allows me to do the opposite of that which I actually really want to do and the things that I want to say. He says, pray for them. But it doesn't stop with prayer. Paul actually then says, he moves on from prayer basically to talk about our lives. He says, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Is Paul saying, just never open your mouth? Is he saying that? Is he saying never engage in politics? Is he saying don't engage with any of those things? No, that's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is that the manner of your life, may we live the manner of my life, should be peaceful and quiet. So therefore, whatever I say, whenever I say it, to whomever I say it, and on whatever platform I say it, it should be calm, quiet, tranquil, godly. Do you get that? That is what he's saying. And I get it that we are in a time where we are tempted to do the exact opposite. Satan wants to stir us up. In fact, that's what this whole year has been. Like, this is just like another piece. This last week was just another piece of this entire year, right? And we've had people on both sides, and, and they go back and forth, and there's other sides, and there's other sides. And I'm like, I don't even know where all the sides are. There's so many sides, and, and Satan is stirring us up, and he wants us to be stirred up because when we are stirred up against each other, guess what we can't do? We can't work together for the sake of the gospel. And he says, that's not okay. That's not okay. In fact, he says, like, if we are not doing that, by the way, that's not going to be godly and holy, like, because that's the next piece, like, that we live our lives in all godliness and holiness. And so here's what I want you to see, is that this is a vertical component here, right? You have godliness and holiness, and it's as if Paul is saying where this vertical line intersects with the horizontal, peaceful, and quiet life, where those two lines meet, this is where he says, next thing, it is good. When, when peaceful, quiet, and godliness meet. In that intersection, that's where he says this is good. This is really, really good. And by the way, it pleases God our Savior. So it's with this vertical and horizontal, this lifestyle and attitude. And we go, gosh, like when I look at this, I go, that's, that needs to be my target. That needs to be our target together because that's Jesus' example. And so, therefore, it's the model that we are supposed to follow. And then he goes on and then says this. By the way, there's purpose to this, right? Like, there's this God's desire. His heart is for this. He wants, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. And we go, gosh, that, that is, that's, that's God's will. That's God's desire. That's what he wants in this time. That's what I should be praying for. 
right? Like that people would come to know Jesus. But I will say this, and I want to say this softly because I do think that this is hard in some way, shape, or form. But if there's an evangelistic work that God wants to do in this time, whether it's last week or this entire year, if there is an evangelistic work that God wants to do, it comes from a place like this. It comes from a place of quiet and peace and tranquil where our manner of life matches up with godliness, right? And those things. It comes from that place, not from a place of anger and uproar. That's not where the the gospel is spread. That's not the example of Jesus. And we know that that's a, that's a thing. When we think about that, we go, okay, that's, that's over there in D.C. That's like way on the East Coast. And I go, yeah, that's true. I get it. But here we are all the way over here. We're a part of that same group, right? We're a part of the United States. We are not united right now, are we? And so for us, like we go, okay, get, like whatever, we know that's true there, but that needs to happen right here in Salem. Like we need to be working together, praying together for this cause according to the example of Christ. And then here's where the gospel gets really clear in the end. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So I want you to notice that you've got God on one side and you've got mankind on the other. And then you've got this one man, Jesus. And where does he put himself? He graciously, compassionately, lovingly, intentionally, sympathetically places himself as the media right in the center of those two people. He does that. That's what he does. He, he puts himself at the very center of that. And we notice that. Um, and he is the center, really, of our freedom between God and mankind, right? He's the center of that. And yet, over this, this last week, as I was listening to, um, to certain different speeches, um, I, I heard this line a couple of times, and I might misquote it, so I apologize if I do, but, but, I, but I heard some lines talking about how the capital, the U.S. capital, is our temple for democracy, now, you can believe whatever it is that you want to believe about that, but, I, but here's what I want you to notice, is notice the spiritual language in that. Notice the spiritual language in that, because for us, even though democracy in this world promises certain freedoms, we as Christians, according to the gospel of Jesus, have a freedom and a, and a set of politics that is tied first and foremost to Jesus than to anything else. And I want us to be really clear about where our ultimate freedom lies, which then means that if I have freedom in Christ, it's that gospel that I believe in and that transforms me, that is that same gospel that impacts and transforms how I actually engage in this world and how I engage in politics and how I engage in racial tension, how I engage in uh, hurricanes and all those things, right? It's the gospel that motivates me to do that and it dictates how I I respond to the state of the world. And I go, man, we end this, we wrap this up, and we go, man, it's been a long year. I get it. It has been so hard. It has been unprecedented in so many ways. And there are sides all over the place. And so I go, gosh, like, what, what do we do this morning? The, really the only thing, the best thing, above all, what we can do is that we can come together and we can pray. And so we're going to push pause on the cave time, and we're going to practice cave time in action 
together for the rest of our time, and then we'll finish with some worship. And what we're going to do, uh, we're going to dim the lights here a little bit. Um, what we're going to do is we're just going to read Scripture together corporately as our prayer. We're actually going to read Romans 12. Okay, Romans 12, it was not written as a prayer. So I'm teaching you in some way, shape, or form, if you've never done this, modeling for you. If you go, man, Seth, I'm really bad at prayer. Great, you know what you can do? You take scripture and you just pray it. And so here's what I mean by that. Here's what we're going to do is that when we read these verses together out loud as a, as, a, as a corporate thing, as a congregational thing, I want us in some sense to be acknowledging above all that what we're reading is true. This is true. This is true about God. This is true about me. This is true about the world. Whatever that is, we're acknowledging it as true. But the second piece that I want you to do is that, and this is where prayer kind of comes in, is as we are reading it, and that prayer component really is, we're asking God, would you make this true in real life? Would you make these things true in real life? So what we're going to do is uh, I will, um, I'll start us, and then we will all read together uh, from Romans 12, and that will be our corporate prayer. And then after this, um, a slide will come up, and there will be a few bullet points that, that will just allow you in this, the freedom of the space that you're in just to engage God for just a couple of minutes. And then I will come back up, I will pray to close that time, and then we'll do it just a couple of times, we'll end in worship. So... Before we do this, let's just, let's hit pause even right now, right? Pause, pause. Let's allow our hearts to settle before we engage in this prayer. So just take a moment of silence. All right, let's pray through this together corporately as our prayer. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Go ahead and pray on your own for a little bit.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. And first things first, we we would say this, Father, we are your servants. What do you want us to hear? And as I think about Romans 12, 1 and 2, these, these powerful few verses in which so much is there, Lord, I admit and confess that the propensity, the disposition, the inclination of my heart is to choose me and to choose what I want in this life. And when I do that, where do I look? I typically look to the world and I exchange, whether in intentional ways or unintentional ways, in big ways or in small ways, I exchange the glory of God the glory of my creator for the created. And it's in these times, these moments where my heart stirs a little bit and I'm reminded that, that there are ways in which I have been conformed to the world. And so this morning, right now, at the start of this prayer time, would you allow each and every one of us as individuals and as a body to be sensitive to, to the Holy Spirit's presence. May He be active in us and showing us in our hearts where we are right and where we are wrong. And I pray that, that as we acknowledge those things that we would look to you in this space and go, it's only through Jesus, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that brings about transformation. And so, Father, in my life, in our lives, and in the lives of the world, we ask. Amen. Let's read the second portion together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, sharing with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's pray as individuals again.
Father, we come again back into a time of prayer together as we process and ponder all that it is that who you are and what you want to do. And as I think about these, these words in, in Romans, these, this first word, sincere, we pray for a sincere love. The word that comes to my mind as a synonym is the word authentic. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who engage in authentic conversation with God, authentic conversation with others, and authentic conversation with the world. We don't come to you or come to each other or come to the world with hidden things because we know that in Christ, in the, in the gospel, all things are seen and all things are known. There's nothing in my life that is not exposed to you. And so, Lord, I pray for sincere love, authentic love, that together we would hate the things that are evil and that we wouldn't stand on sides of each other and blame and accuse and yell and anger, but together we would find ourselves in a space where we are devoted to one another because of who Christ is and what he still is doing and what he wants to accomplish in this world. Amen. Let's read this last portion of Scripture together. Bless those who persecute you, and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray.
Father, as we wrap up our time of prayer, corporate prayer, it's not something we get to do together often. I thank you for the, the powerful presence of the Spirit and His moving. Would we be sensitive to Him? As I think through um, this last piece, there's an image that comes to my mind. And Lord, I know that sometimes when I pray that that's how, that's how you, do, you do it. That's how you communicate with me. And the image that comes to my mind when I think about this, this passage in Romans as we pray through this, I picture Jesus in front of his accusers. That he, the, the guy, right, the, who came down from heaven, who, who gave up equality with God as something to be grasped, and he entered into this world to put on flesh, right? God incarnate, uh, being both fully God and fully man, here he exists and stands in front of a human court. The man, the, the God king who had all authority in the world and in front of his accusers when they accused him of things that he was silent. See, Jesus came, we know he came, right, with a, with a mission and with a purpose. And, and even though he had full right and full authority to, to say, man, what are you guys thinking? What are you doing? Instead, with humility, he clothed himself like a sheep being led to the slaughter. And he allowed this world to brutalize him to the point of death. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what this next year holds. And as we think back over this last year, we, we, we know that it's been a lot. And yet we look to you with, with this utter dependency, this, this full authenticity, being able to speak whatever it is that we need to speak to you who understands exactly what is going on in my heart. Whether it is big or it is small. Lord, we turn to you in this moment. We think about the state of our nation. We think about uh, the state of the world. We think about racial injustice. We think about the groaning of the universe that exists with hurricanes and droughts as it waits to be restored. We think about all of these things, and we point our finger to you, not in accusation, but with clarity to say, we trust you. We love you. God, would you do a work in our hearts and through us, whatever starts, whatever you want to do through Salem starts inside of each of us as individuals. Well, this morning we surrender to you as we finish in worship. We celebrate the goodness of who you are and the goodness of your plan. Amen.